Hello and welcome to the Healthy Gamer Girl podcast. I'm Liz, the Healthy Gamer Girl, and today we have something a little bit different. I am so excited because Leanne from healthfulpursuits.com and the Keto Diet Podcast is here, and we're going to talk about self-care, cravings, emotional eating, and just about everything in between. Now, anything we talk about will be listed in the show notes, so please check those out and enjoy the show. So thank you so much, Leanne, for, for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked. Oh, awesome. So I know you have a book coming out in April. Um, do you want to take a moment to talk about that? Yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. So um, I started writing The Keto Diet. You can't forget that title. Of <laughs> it's pretty simple and straight to the point. Um, last April, so April, tw- April 2016, so when I started, and I always been kind of playing around with like a bigger project like this, and um, I really, at first the title was going to be called Fat is Good, because I wanted to talk about the benefits of a high fat diet and incorporating just more fat right. into your life, and um, then as it evolved, I have a lot to say about ketogenic diets and just the word diet, mm. that I wanted to kind of not mask the book in a diet space but I guess in a way like I I chose and we chose to call it the keto diet to kind of grab a bunch of people that are interested in ketogenic eating um, that low carb high fat approach um, while also starting the conversation around being kind to yourself and your body and uh, really approaching your quote-unquote health from a place of love and kindness and this is something that may blow a bunch of people away that you can have love and kindness toward your body like I know that when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, when I get skinny, you know, like there was never, there was never that, like, I can love my body or appreciate my body for where it's at right now and, and treat it with love and respect. Right. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to start that conversation within the ketogenic space. And I've done so with my digital programs and my books. I've written over 11 of them over the years and um, two in the ketogenic space. And my programs, the Keto Beginning and Fat Field, which are digital, kind of go through the ins and outs of how to get started and um, how to overcome struggles on the ketogenic diet and how to personalize it with hormone imbalances. And with this new paperback, I wanted to go through how to be kind to your body, choose the foods that feel good, um, and also how to prepare those foods. So it sort of goes into uh, a lot of kitchen strategies, how to prepare meals easily, um, and a lot of food-based concepts while also having this undertone of, you know, if you quote-unquote screw up on the ketogenic diet, it's not like your life is over, it's not like you're a bad mother or a bad (laughs) person or you don't deserve to live or you're weak or any of that. It's just, you know, you know that some of these foods don't make you feel good and you had them and life goes on. So I really wanted to um, bring that conversation over to uh, my new paperback that's coming out on April 11th. Um, It'll be launching in Costco, which is amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. In the U.S. and also be at uh, Barnes and Noble on Amazon, um, any bookstore really that you can go to. And then in Canada, Chapters and Indigo, also Amazon.ca. So anywhere you where you can find a book and I'm I'm really excited for it it was one heck of a project I mean I've overcome you know eating disorders I've traveled to India by myself and this is right up there with the scare one of the scariest things I've ever done and I've been up against so many fears putting this out there because it is such a deep 
like good, just solid book. Um, and there's a lot of things that I see in there that, um, you know, aren't really talked about. And, um, anytime you put yourself out there in a big way, you're going to be fearful. And I think that that goes not only for writing a book, but just anything, any change that anyone's going through. So I'm really excited. There's going to be a book tour that goes along with it. I'm going to be visiting about 11 cities in the U S and Canada, um, getting to meet with a bunch of different people that maybe have heard of me, have not heard of me. Mm -hmm. So there'll be a lot of good conversation, a lot of food. If you're looking for a bunch of ketogenic recipes, you can't go wrong. And I think over 80% of them are vegan or have um, vegan alternatives. So I, I mean, there's over 80% are egg free and nut sh- nightshade free and nut free. So I've really tried to think of all the people when you're preparing ketogenic food with an undertone of kindness. And I love that. I'm so so excited. I know I told you that earlier. But as I said, this is one of the most inclusive keto books I've ever seen based I mean, and this is just based on the introduction alone, of course. But I'm just so excited because it seems like it's so honest and just so open and accepting. And part of that openness and acceptingness, which I heard you talk about just a moment ago, was like not beating yourself up over slip ups on keto. And I actually do you mind if we delve into that a little bit more? Just because I think it's oh, a, I would love it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great introduction to this whole self care theme we have going on today. So Yeah. Yeah, because I mean you're human. Do you ever, and I know this is a kind of a ridiculous question, do you ever slip up, and that's in big air quotes, but do you ever slip up on keto? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. I just, um, I was making some lunch for myself, and I kind of had this, like, Noreka moment of just, you know, saying that you'll follow keto perfectly every day is like saying, you'll shave your legs as soon as they get prickly or you'll, you know, you'll adore your children every waking moment or you'll never get upset at your significant other or you'll always wear makeup when you go out in public or you'll never miss a day at the gym. Like these are all completely unrealistic and setting yourself up for living a life that you just, you can't maintain. You are going to fail. Like we all fail. Right. quote unquote fail we have slip ups things happen like you can't get to the gym because your child got sick and now you're going to beat yourself up over it because you're trying to take care of your kid like these are the behaviors that become or the beliefs that become this dogma and then we beat ourselves up over it so yeah totally i have i don't even call them slip ups i call them like uh, a decision to live my life like for right. example my husband and i were in Banff which is about an hour away from our house, which is like the most beautiful place. And we stayed at a hotel and I haven't drank wine in eons um, being, uh, you know, recovering from an eating disorder and addiction and things like that. And there was like this moment of, wow, I think I'm ready to have a glass of wine. And I was like, you know, instantly I was like, well, that's not keto. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? That's okay. And it's, it's about making the choice because when we have those unrealistic expectations and we're saying, you know, I'm going to wear makeup every day or I'm going to go to the gym every day or I'm going to eat keto perfectly every single day. We are not perfect and things are going to happen. And if we are putting ourselves on this or putting our lives on this pedestal of like this constant unrealistic behavior, when we slip up, we see it as being weak, as having failed. And it doesn't uh, offer ourselves the opportunity to live in a space of curiosity and acceptance and allowing ourselves to see miracles, um, you know, in the way that we're uh, treating ourselves and the way that we treat others. So it's just, 
yeah, I, I do what I want when I want. And I know that my body feels best in a state of ketosis. I know that I don't do well when I have a lot of carbs. I know that sugar makes my brain feel funny. I know that wine gets me super drunk after like four sips. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. But, you know, to come from a place of acceptance and, and knowing that, you know, if I want that glass of wine, had I denied myself that glass of wine, I know exactly what would have happened. You know, two hours later, my husband and I would be out for dinner and I would eat too much of the food that I didn't want to eat. Maybe I would order dessert. Maybe we'd go back to the room and I'd go to a vending machine and get candy. And then all of a sudden I've had so much more than I wanted than if I would have just had that glass of wine. Right. So for me and my my history and my experience with an eating disorder and even disordered eating, it doesn't have to be that you were ever diagnosed with a serious condition or anything. If you have a blistered relationship with food, which a lot of us do, you right. know, chronic dieting and stuff, you're probably going to have an issue with denying yourself that thing that you want. So my approach is I'm not going to be unrealistic. You know, I know what feels good. I know what feels not so good. And if I eat the food that doesn't make me feel not so good, I don't beat myself up over it. And I actually eat less of it having not cared right. you know, than restricting. So that's such an awesome philosophy. And I love the phrase blistered relationship with food. That's beautiful. Mm. And it's such a great way to phrase it. It's so on the nose. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I imagine that coming to this philosophy and having this understanding was a journey for you. Like you didn't just wake up one day and say, Oh, wait a minute. This is this is how this is how it should be. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Don't we all wish that was that easy? Yeah. But then again, like, I know that there's been times in my life where I'm like, gosh, darn it. Do it. Did it have to take this long to get where I am? But really in that you learn so much. And um, that can be a really scary thing. But yeah, so to kind of give a, a quick overview of kind of where I've been and how I got here. Um, I had an eating disorder. I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was about 14 ish. Um, and bulimia around 19. Right. I lost a bunch of weight. Uh, I had really, really unhealthy behaviors. I ended up leaving high school and then realizing that you can't get anywhere without a high school education. So I ended up supporting myself. I lived out on my own at that point and got a job and went through high school. Then um, really, there was a day where I had to take a Tylenol because I had a headache. And then I made like this broccoli bowl. I can't remember. It had broccoli in it. And my headache started going away after I had the Tylenol and I was eating this broccoli. And it was like this moment of realization of like, okay, I had the Tylenol and it went down the same hole and it stopped my headache. What is this broccoli doing? And it was like this um, connection of just like, wait a minute, if I can take Tylenol and it, it makes my headache go away and then I can eat broccoli, like what is this broccoli doing in my body? And that was the first time that I connected the food that I was eating or in my case not eating right. to my health and the status of my body. So I studied nutrition um, in 2007 and then throughout that um I was vegan, quit birth control, never got my period back. It took eight years to get wow. my period back. Wow. And it was a ketogenic diet that helped me um, attain that finally after eight years. Um, now I say to all my friends, you know, I didn't have my period for eight years. So basically my body thinks I'm like 22. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm going to go with. Um, oh, I love because, that. <laughs> so like throughout that whole time, you know, as I was recovering from anorexia and bulimia, um, 
I started developing orthorexia. So I started becoming like super into healthy eating to the point where I would have panic attacks when we go to uh, restaurants thinking like, oh my gosh, they're cooking with like vegetable oil and it's going to get inflammation. And I could imagine all my cells just like dying off and right. just this session. Um, and that turned into, you know, when I found keto, I was recovered from most of the um, eating disorder tendencies. But when I started keto, uh, I was in a really horrible place because we had just gotten married and my hormones were a mess. I still didn't have my period. I was starting to gain weight. I was exhausted all of the time. My brain was like I was starting to get my ADD symptoms back and it was just really, really frustrating. Um, and I, I really felt um, cheated by my body. Like I've invested all this time and energy of you know, getting back on track, quote unquote, um, and you're still treating me like poo, <laughs> like what is wrong with you? And so I saw keto as this be all end all of if, you know, if I just, if I just do this right and I count my macros and I track my calories, I can lose the weight, feel better, get my period back. Um, and yeah, I totally lost the weight and I looked fabulous. But then about six months in, I stopped sleeping completely. Oh. Like I would go days without sleeping. Wow. Uh, my hair was falling out like crazy, not just a little bit, but like I have thick hair and my, the ponytail holders that I would, I've used ever since I was little, like didn't fit. Like I had to get these tiny little elastics. It was just, it was horrible. Yeah. And so, I, you know, my brain was feeling better. My weight had gone down. My, my period hadn't come back. And so I was like, there has to be a balance between the two worlds. I have to be able to do this keto thing and feel better. Um, cause now I know fat feels good. Um, but in a way that's not so restrictive. So after coaching myself through, okay, like I'm just going to track my breakfasts and like slowly weaning down on tracking macros because that's, it, it was an addiction. Like I just, I needed to do it. Right. Stop weighing myself. You know, my husband would hold onto the scale and I would do it. I would only weigh myself twice a day, which yeah, I weighed myself like seven times a day. So Kevin would <laughs> let me weigh myself twice a day. And then I went down to once a day, then one every other day. So it was just a slow and steady process um to the point where now I don't weigh myself I have no clue what I weigh like I don't I couldn't even tell you somewhere between I don't know 130 and maybe I don't even know like I have no clue that's such um, a freeing feeling not oh, knowing because yeah. we're so I'm so much more than a number right that, and that number doesn't define me that doesn't tell me what sort of woman that I am it doesn't tell me like it doesn't tell me anything exactly <laughs> it just makes me feel it, horrible it can just ruin your day and beyond all that yeah. if you've been exercising more and now you've put on muscle it's hard to get over that hurdle of like putting on weight is good when it's muscle because this is helping my body move and helping me get around and be stronger it's so hard yeah. to get over those hurdles Oh, and in my case, it was not muscle. Like I had to gain body fat back in a state of eating fat. Like I'm probably around the same. Like I feel like my body is about the same, um, maybe about the same weight as before I started the whole keto thing and I lost the weight. Um, but it's proportioned differently. I have, like it's not all in those areas that are, just look unnatural. Like it just it looks natural on my body and you know, after I gained that ability to like drop the stressing about counting and tracking, it took me about nine months and I got my period back. And now I've had it for a year and a half, like on point, you know, I'm ovulating every month. It's just, it's, it's such an amazing feeling after not having a period in my entire adult life. So I bet. yeah, to just, but it, it's hard. Yeah. Like it, 
to answer your question full circle is like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's not an overnight thing. I mean, nothing is like nothing is an overnight thing. It takes work and dedication. But my real thing is, um, and something I always have to remind myself of is I'm not willing to live a life that's defined by the numbers on my fitness pal on a scale, you know, counting calories, worrying about my next meal, stressing about what I'm going to eat when I go out with my girlfriends or what wine I'm going to have or not have, or the treats I'm going to have or not have. I don't think of those things. I know what feels good. I know what feels not so good. And if I choose to eat the foods that don't feel so good, I made that choice and I can move on. So yeah, that's taken like, I don't know, forever, yeah. but <laughs> not forever. I took the really, really long, I'm a very stubborn person. I'm a Taurus. So I like to do my things in my own way. Right. So, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I continue to do the work that I do because I am confident that I didn't go through this experience just to have it for myself. I've always felt like I needed to share. And so I hope that by sharing that, you know, even if it's just one person that hears my message in my entire lifetime, that their life can shift because of that, then like amazing because my, just my life shifting has made such a huge impact. If that can do the same for one, just one person. Oh my gosh. Oh, I feel that just struck such a chord with me. I feel that so much because as I mean, I had a similar journey to you. And after you go through all that, you think, all right, I didn't do this for nothing. Like I didn't do this just for me. And even one other person not having to struggle even as much, just not struggle as much would be such a positive thing. Yeah, you think of all the things you do in your life. And if you could duplicate that, how powerful is that? And if there's 10 people, that's like insane. It's like a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I also love to hear you say that you don't track your macros. You don't obsessively count calories because I was once an obsessive calorie counter, an obsessive macro counter when I first got to keto. Like I would lose it if I were over 20 grams or, you, you know, like if, if over the allotted amount, because it's this mental block. So I love hearing that you don't count and you just do you, so you just eat food. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but you just eat. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I try to put myself back like two, three, four, five, even 10 years hearing myself talk. And I know that there's somebody listening right now. That's like, if I just ate, I would be 9,000 pounds and I would be unhealthy. And I do this because if I don't, I will get so out of control that I can't trust myself. Right. So I would like to tell you and my previous self that mm-hmm. that's not true. We are told that we can't trust ourselves. If you watch a child eating, it is the most beautiful, amazing thing. Like, I know that when my um, cousin was younger and I would babysit her, she would be very vocal when she was full and what she wanted and didn't want, you know, and we lose, we lose that ability because we're being told by diet culture that it is not okay to listen to your body. Your body is wrong. It can't be trusted because if you did trust it, you would be quote unquote overweight, unhealthy, sick, and you would die. (laughs) So, you know, we're being told these things. And for me, it was a huge struggle to get over that. Um, but if you are in a place of like when when I first learned about self-care, I was like, oh, yeah, like having a bath once in a while <laughs> and like, you know, going for a walk. But self-care is about thinking of yourself first. And it's it's selfishness in a beautiful way of like, I need to take care of me 
mentally, physically, emotionally. And when I'm in that place of caring for my body, I choose to do things and I choose to eat things that support that state. I know that sitting on the couch drowning in a bag of candy doesn't support that state. And when I'm in the self-care, you know, putting myself first state, it's not even something I think about doing, you know, and there are days totally like during my period, I sit on the couch and I eat like chocolate macarons that I've made and they're delicious. And oh, I'm like, love it. I'm all about that life. Well, but that is your self-care. That is you saying, yes. this is what I need. <laughs> totally. It's beautiful. But when you're in that state of trust and loving kindness, it's, it's just different. And I mean, I remember hearing these conversations a couple of years ago and thinking the women that I was listening to were absolutely crazy, <laughs> but I promise you it's the truth. <laughs> like, it just is. Um, when you're coming from that place of kindness and love and trusting your body because it's okay to trust your body, like magical things happen. It, it, it's just magic. And it's been there all along. It was there when you were a kid before you knew about nutrition and what to eat and what not to eat and good foods, bad foods. You would push away the spoon when your mom tried to give you peas. Ugh, peas. I hate peas. I never liked peas. Um, but then I went through this phase as a vegan where all I ate was peas. And my, I'll never forget. My, I went over to my parents' house and I was making dinner. It was like this big bowl of peas with butternut squash. And my mom looked at me and she's like, Leanne, you hate peas. Like, you hate peas. Something like, is wrong. Mom, they're so good for you. Oh, man. And, no, I actually legitimately hate peas like but I thought I liked them during that period because you know they were healthy and everyone was saying that they're like the best thing and protein and vegan and blah 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 and no that no <laughs> so it's really just about getting back to the true the essence of, of you and who you are without all the clouded gunk yeah all those it. mixed messages we get mm -hmm. so yeah. do you have a self-care routine or is it more or less just doing what is what feels good to you there's definitely a couple of things that are pretty constant. Um, and, you know, the last year has been such a struggle. Like writing a book is the most unhealthy, unhealthiest thing one could probably ever do. <laughs> You're sitting for like long periods of time. There's like deadlines. You can't miss them. Like, you know, self-care kind of goes out the window. Right? <laughs> it's like know? cortisol um, city, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Like my adrenals are just, you know, they're, they're begging for a really long vacation. But... Um, I noticed that when I get pretty low, um, there are things that I need to do, um, for one of them, like uh, one really simple thing that's never changed for the last couple of years is I really like fuzzy socks and I put them on, I put cream on my feet every morning, like after my shower. And usually I put some essential oil right now. It's like an adrenal fatigue <laughs> essential oil on my feet. I put my fuzzy socks on and I put my Crocs on my feet Love and it. I wear those all day through the house. And that may be such a silly thing, but I like really warm feet. It makes my thyroid feel really good. So good. Um, just like little things like that, you know, or keeping hand cream by my desk and putting it on and crafting um, in the evening. If I get too overwhelmed, I make little crafts. Um, I really like walking. I really like laying in the sun, like on the floor of my house. There's a window. And whenever I see it, I just I'm like a cat. I just lay in the sun until I'm kind of recharged. So just it's kind of over time, it's become this intuitive thing of like, wow, I need to sit there in that sun. But when you're first getting going, it's sort of like I had to make a list of things that made me feel good. And I kind of had to like, carve out time in my schedule to be like, okay, let's go through the list and see kind of what I feel like doing. 
you know, and there was maybe 10 things on there, like having a bath, going for a walk, going to yoga, um, you know, making sure that I'm wearing my fuzzy socks, (laughs) you know, I really like, I enjoy cleaning. It's very therapeutic for me. So that was on there. Um, and just, you know, when I carved out that 30 minutes a day, I'd be like, okay, on this list, what do I feel like? And maybe I would go through that list and be like, actually, I feel like watching TV or watching my favorite program or something. Um, so over time, it became more of an intuitive practice, but it wasn't like that initially. I like that, too, that you said you make a list of things that make you feel good because it's so hard for us. I think especially if you're in a really stressed state, it's really hard to look outside yourself and say, what do I need right now? Like, what would help me out? So it's really cool that you had that list there to be able to look at and see, oh, Leanne, it's sock time. Put your fuzzy socks on. I love that. Fuzzy socks. I'm all about that life. Yes. I'm actually wearing a pair right now. I'm so into fuzzy socks. (laughs) It's like, ah, uh, it's like you're seeing into my soul. Yes, fuzzy socks are where it's at. Seriously. Good for your thyroid. Keeping your feet warm is really good for your thyroid, so come on. I love that so much. I love that I now have an excuse, a medically accepted excuse for wearing fuzzy totally. socks. Totally. <laughs> so in the interest of self-care, and I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to talk about cravings a little bit and, like, what happens when you just have a craving for something that you know isn't keto, whether it's ice cream or we talked about wine a little bit earlier, but something ridiculous. Like, let's say you just want, like, a really, like, a chunk of chocolate cake. Oh, yeah. Like, there was a day, probably about a month ago, maybe, where my husband and I were playing our Xbox dance game. Love it. And I was really tired, and I didn't feel like making dinner. I was like, let's order pizza. <laughs> like, and he's like, awesome. So we got, like some pizza and it was gluten-free because I can't do gluten and so even in that space I'm like okay well I know that my body doesn't do well with gluten so I'm gonna find a place that has gluten-free pizza and you know I'm gonna ask for less sauce because I know that my body doesn't totally love tomatoes so even in that space I'm honoring my body um but I have found that when I oh this is a great example so we went out for, it sounds like we eat out all the time, but I'm just like going back. So um, we went out for Mexican probably a couple of weeks ago. And um, I was like, I'm going to have a salad. I really feel like greens. And then the man asked me, would you like a corn tortilla at the bottom of your salad? And initially I was like, yeah, that sounds great. That would be so good in there. But then my, you know, diet brain and keto brain right. came in and was like, no, that corn? Are you crazy, girl? <laughs> that is that, a grain. No. <laughs> yeah, so then I didn't have the corn tortilla and I ate the salad. And after the meal, I, like, was full, but I was so unsatisfied. And, you know, I thought of, you know, I thought about the meal on our way there. And I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like salad. It'd be cool to get, like, some, you know, tortilla chips on the side. And I just, I denied myself that. And then we came home and I can't even remember what I ate. It's like, I think I made like this huge fruit salad and I put like nuts on it. And I was just like eating all night long, like trying to fulfill that. uh, It was like that empty feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that, just that empty feeling. Like I'm full, but I'm not because I wanted the thing that I couldn't have. Exactly. You eat around a craving and you just end up eating like 10 times the amount of food. Yeah. And like quote unquote healthy food, like I was making fruit salads and having, and then I moved over to like making fat bombs and like I had all the fat bombs and I'm like, I should make cookies. Like it was just insane. And had I just had, like we're talking a handful of corn chips, I would have been like, that was good. And I would have been back into ketosis the next morning. It was like, I don't know, 
maybe 50 grams of carbs, like maybe. Um, and once you're fat adapted, and then that place is actually really easy to have a bit of carbs at night and then go back to ketosis the next morning. It's part of my fat field protocol. And um, I've seen countless women and men do that, bounce back. I do it all the time. Had I just had those corn chips, it would have been fine. And when we're, yeah, when we're tippy-toeing around that craving or, I mean, there, I have defined my cravings in a couple of ways so that I can just understand myself better. So, you know, if I'm feeling emotionally drained or stressed, normally I crave certain foods. If I'm feeling alone, I crave more sugar. Right. My dad and I had a have a very strong relationship with sugar together, like lots of memories with candy and treats. So when I'm feeling like I need to be loved, I go toward more sweet things. So just knowing that about myself, you know, if I'm craving candy, like, hmm, like how can I you know, how can I maybe involve more people and get more connection in my life so I don't feel this way? And yeah, I still might have sugar, but just knowing that about myself kind of helps me um, veer around or understand myself better, even if it means that I end up eating the food, at least I'm moving toward um, a more balanced life. But the problem I have with cravings, and we were talking about this before we recorded, is I, I was at um, the doctor's office and I saw this poster that said um, get your fix with safe highs yes. pick a craving pick one food from each column and then it goes in to say like if you have fiber and protein it will alleviate a craving so it's like berries with cottage cheese and apple with peanut butter and celery with uh, bu- almond butter goes on to say like low fat cheese and broccoli and I, I understand that perhaps on the exterior, you know, a lot of people would see this and be like, oh, that's so great. Now I have like some healthy snacks and yeah, totally healthy snacks. Cool. I mean, I would choose a high fat cheese or no cheese at all if you're prone to inflammation. Right. But, you know, like the snacks, that's totally great. But how I read it with a blistered relationship with food and how a chronic dieter may read it and somebody that just needs a hug <laughs> and like ditching their diet is... <laughs> Um, you're weak and the only good thing you can do in the spot of a craving, which shows your weakness, is to choose foods on this list. And if you don't have, if you don't pair fiber with protein and you end up having, I don't know, a bowl of pineapple with some coconut cream on it, you're bad. Oh, that sounds, bad. Yeah, that sounds delicious, firstly. But, oh, that's like my favorite carb up treat. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but I think an interesting t- thing, too, about that poster, and it's it's on Leanne's Instagram account if anyone wants to go take a look at that, but they call them safe foods. And I know that as someone with an eating disordered background, you're probably very familiar with the concept of safe foods and mm-hmm. how how almost dangerous it is to set up this paradigm where you have like foods you can eat and then foods you cannot eat and how like you're okay only if you eat these foods. And it's, it's fascinating that that was at a doctor's office. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it everywhere, right? And I mean, I wasn't open to even seeing this a year ago. Right. You know, I'd see that and think, oh, great snack ideas. And I've spoken to people in the comments about like, yeah, it's just great snack ideas and it can help society, you know, improve their eating choices. I don't know. I've worked in weight loss clinics. I've worked in hospitals. When people are not, when people are feeding their bodies in a way that's not serving them, usually it has nothing to do with the food. I mean, there are instances where, you know, poverty and accessibility play a huge role in education and 
and not knowing which foods are, you know, nutritious and which ones aren't. Like there's there's a huge piece to that. But in I, I'm talking about the people in our circles who you and I are helping, who we're interacting with, the ones who see these posters are not thinking, oh, that's a great snack idea. They're thinking, okay, next time I'm craving something when I'm feeling bad, I'm going to have this instead. And that's the problem that I have with this. It's like a poster is not going to change a behavior, an unhealthy behavior. Right. Um, it, but it's going to encourage unhealthy behaviors in the space of, of dieting and, and um, blistered relationships with food, I guess. Yeah. And for some, there might be one person who looks at that poster and is like, you know, I have never thought to put almond yeah. butter with an apple. And for them, that's great. But I think. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Good job. But for so many people, they see that and it's just, it becomes more of a crutch to kind of like keep them limping along with this really unhealthy relationship with that, as you said, blistered relationship with food. It's just one more thing that says, oh, okay, like instead of addressing these issues or figuring out why you're really craving that thing, why don't you just slap some cottage cheese over it? Thank you. And um, actually, that reminded me, I wanted to, to talk to you about emotional eating a little bit because I was listening to your po- one, of your pod- one of your recent podcasts. I'm sorry, I don't actually remember which one, which is terrible. Me neither. <laughs> but it'll be in the show notes, guys. But um, you were talking about how sometimes you know that you're not, you're not really hungry. And we talked about this a little earlier, too. You're, like, emotionally hungry. And I kind of wanted you to elaborate on that because that's definitely something that happens to me and I would imagine to our listeners. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Kevin, my husband, is so incredibly supportive and like I have long drawn out conversations with him about all of these things. And in fact, right before recording the podcast with you today, um, he and I were talking about the phases of, of getting to the point where, you know, like I'm at right now with just you know, understanding what's good for my body and what doesn't feel so good. And, and Kevin, Kevin disagrees that you can go from like treating your body like not so good and eating, you know, I, I was a smoker. I went to McDonald's every day. I did the diet Cokes and it was just a hot mess mm-hmm. to go from like there to where I am without like with skipping all over the diet stuff. Right. Um, and he says like, it's not possible. And I say it's possible. So we were just talking about that. It just, um, there, <laughs> If somebody is coming from a place of, you know, Coca-Cola drinking, McDonald's stuff, uh, their emotionally eating is going to look different than um, somebody that's dieted for quite a long time with their emotional eating. Um, in in who I, you know, the people that I've worked with and stuff, um, those the individuals who know that the McDonald's and stuff is is not serving their body and they just continue to eat it their emotional eating is different. So I'm going to separate the two right there Love and it. just say like, if you have been, um, dieting or, you know, and dieting can mean so many different things. It could be like, if you've been paleo for the last 10 years and you haven't deviated from it. Um, but like every Friday you drown yourself in ice cream and then you feel guilty and you go to the gym for four hours on Saturday. Um, that was basically my life for like five <laughs> years. Um, but like if you're coming from that place, um, I, I feel, and I very firmly believe that emotional eating is completely okay. And being conscious in that space of emotional eating is so important. Uh, you know, as a previous bulimic, when you get in the state of bulimia, um, you're not conscious, right? You are just like frantically eating food 
like not thinking, completely it's, disconnected. It's like a blackout. Yeah. Yeah, totally, like totally disconnected. So I remember the first uh, emotional eating experience I had outside of bulimia, and it was like, whoa, I'm eating these chips, and they're going in my mouth, and they taste good, and now I'm taking more, and I'm eating. So it was like just being conscious to the experience of emotional eating. And then, it, you know, before, before I engage in emotional eating, um, when I'm feeling like I'm, we call it snacky in the house, like <laughs> that's kind of our word of like, Kevin, I'm feeling snacky, or Kevin says, Leanne, I'm feeling snacky. We kind of go through like what happened in the day and what did we just eat? Was that not fulfilling? What did you actually want for dinner? Um, like a couple nights ago, I thought I wanted like some green plantain on the side of my dinner and I was like, nah, I don't need it. And then an hour later I said, oh, I'm snacky. And Kevin said, well, what did you want for dinner that you didn't have? And I was like, oh, plantain. So, <laughs> so then I just had some plantain and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I just needed that plantain. But sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, somebody said something mean at, at the office today or, you know, all the people at the office were talking about dieting all day and now I just want to eat all the foods they were saying were bad. Right. And so just kind of delving into that. And it, it doesn't mean that when you delve, you can't do it. It's not like, oh, well, you know, if you just follow this five-step process and you dig deep, then you won't <laughs> want those foods anymore and you won't want emotional eat. That's not what it's about. It's right. just like learning about your body more. And at the end of the um, exploration and you've determined that it was because people were saying something or something happened, you're like, nah, no, I still want the whatever, then you have the whatever. But when I know from my emotional eating days is when I just say, screw it, you know, like I'm going to have this bag of chips and I'm going to eat all of it. And then you get to the bag, the end of the bag of chips and you just want more because you're guilty and you've, you know, you've quote unquote screwed everything up anyways. So you may as well keep eating. Like it's just this toxic behavior and this pattern. Um, and then there's the guilt, like, oh, the guilt after is just horrible. And then, yeah, you know, you starve yourself or, you know, you go back to intermittent fasting for 24 hours and you're drinking water and you're like, how, how can I get back into ketosis quicker? And you're like using all these supplements to try to do It's just like, it's overkill and it's unfortunate. So yeah, I emotionally eat. Um, and I ask myself why I'm emotionally eating like I was talking about, like when I'm craving sugar, I know it's something. If I'm craving like savory things, I know it's something. Sometimes it's just I didn't have enough food that day. Sometimes it's somebody said something mean to me or <laughs> I took something the wrong way. Um, and then you just kind of play around with it. But it's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're just as awesome as you were five seconds ago. It's not, it's not, it doesn't define you at all. And I love that philosophy, and it's, I think it's so important. I know you work with people in, who are trying to better themselves nutritionally, and I do too, and I imagine it's so frustrating when you talk to a client and they tell you, oh, and then on Friday, you know, I went out to eat, and oh, everyone got dessert, so I did, and then I felt awful, but it's okay because, like, I didn't eat the next day. And you think, no, that's that's not how this works. Like, don't do that. So it's, it's really refreshing to kind of hear, not not that we're saying it's like, okay, eat that chocolate cake every time you want it, but that when you you have these cravings, sometimes it's, it's okay to indulge a little bit in that more emotional side of eating, and that, that can be a good place for you too. Yeah, and we're emotional beings, and like we, we do feel pleasure from eating, and, and that pleasure can be quite enjoyable. And I think it's that abuse, like I have a very addictive personality. 
Um, and it's that abuse of food that can turn into a very negative thing. Right. And, and that's what we want to avoid. And so, you know, I have these conversations with Kevin all the time of like, where do you draw the line? Like, like you said, it's not like we're saying to eat chocolate cake every day. Um, you know, it totally depends. Like it's so individual. Like, how are you enjoying that chocolate cake? And, you know, are you buying a huge cake in secret and hiding it and not sharing it with anyone? And like, that's not a, that's not a good behavior. Right. But you know, are you at a birthday party and somebody says, would you like a slice of cake? And you say, yeah. And then you get through half and you're like, you know what? This is really sugary. I don't want this. And then you just put it down like that is a totally healthy, normal behavior. You know, so it's just, it's, it's anything that, that just doesn't feel right and isn't serving your best, your like your highest good. It's probably not awesome for <laughs> you. <laughs> like Regardless, like take away the nutrition, take away the sugar, take away all that stuff. And just think, like, is this behavior, am I treating this food normally? And if the answer is no, then just kind of ask yourself, like, what's going on? Right. And what am I getting out of this, too, I think, actually, is a, another great thing. Like, Yes. Yeah. And where can I get it elsewhere? Right. I'm Outside sure. Outside of food. Yeah. So many times. Self-care. Yeah. <laughs> self-care, man. I'm loving this. It's yeah. like so many times you'll think, oh, I really, I want some chips right now. And I'll, I'll go over and I'll be like, you know what? I deserve this. I, I can have some chips. Like I'll have a serving of chips and I'll eat a few and I'll realize that isn't at all what I thought it would yeah. be. <laughs> like, oh, this doesn't really taste that great. It's not really doing it for me. And then I'm like, you know what? I think I'll just have some nuts instead. Like I would rather have nuts right now. And it, yeah. it all sorts or itself like, out. I need any... a bath. Yeah. Oh, chips. I need a bath. Yes. <laughs> like, right? Like that's happened to me so many times where I go like all day, work, 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 work. And then I get to the end of the day. And I'm like, oh, I'm snacky. And then I go for a walk. I'm like, oh, wait, I wasn't snacky. I just needed to take some time off. Right. You know? It's yeah. like, oh, it's so funny how that happens, how you go from being so reliant on food to fix all your problems to, Ugh. right? Yeah. 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 The magic pill that's going to solve everything. And that's how I went into keto. Um, and in keto, I realized like, oh gosh, I love fat and it feels so good in my body and I can maintain a state of ketosis without, without going crazy. And that's something that's so not talked about in the ketogenic space. Like, I, know. I don't know a lot of other people that write or make videos or have podcasts that are saying like it's okay to indulge it's okay to have your birthday cake it's okay to emotionally eat it's okay not to intermittent fast seven days a week like it's not something that's talked about and it's just it didn't work for me it may work for other people but I was a hot mess and I figured if I'm a hot mess there has to be other people that are not enjoying this (laughs) so that's kind of how I came to this this too this some people call it lazy keto I like to think of it as more intuitive keto Lazy keto. I actually really do love that phrase just because, you know, sometimes I'm feeling lazy and I'm like, I'm not cooking anything today. Peanut butter, lazy keto, like done. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's embracing a negative for sure. I really enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Exactly. But you're right. It's something that isn't really condoned in the community. I feel like most of what I read, at least on Reddit forums or on like Facebook groups is people saying, oh, is it okay if I eat insert food here? Is it okay if I have X amount of carbs in a day or X amount of calories or I went over my carbs by three grams, am I going to die? And you think, oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's been taken like anything. It's just been taken too far. And there are people like, 
um, for example, epileptic children, where they really, really have to pay attention to their macros. Oh, for sure. Because if they go below a certain keto number, like they could have a seizure and it's super bad. But for those of us who are just using um, ketosis for health and maybe, you know, for myself, Alzheimer's really runs in my family. Mm -hmm. Like almost every adult has died with with some form of Alzheimer's and experienced that. Um, you know, that's really important to me. Brain health is super important. So I'm using it as a way to hopefully avoid that. Um, I have faith in you. <laughs> Pardon me? I said I have faith in you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. But, you know, we don't have to take it that far that it's just like overcome. It's just con- completely consuming every part of our lives. Because, like, I don't know, I would rather, like, spend time, you know, all that energy that you spend on counting macros or going on reddit and asking if you can have extra pickles (laughs) on your burger and just all that kind of stuff is like i would rather spend that amount of energy on something else like maybe finding a new friend right or like you know going out with my sister more or you know the amount of money that i used to spend on the ketone test strips it was about 200 dollars a month 200 dollars is like a sweet date with my husband oh yeah that is like dinner, like a really nice dinner and a movie. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and that's more fulfilling to me personally with how I want to see my life go than, you know, sitting in my bathroom testing my blood. Right. Or peeing on those little sticks. Like, it's Which not don't necessary. don't even work. Right. And then freaking out that it's not pink enough. That's, it's just, it's such a waste of energy and time, really. Yeah, and it's just not the way, and I totally respect people that want to live that life. Oh, sure. Um, 100%, but it's just not the life that I envisioned myself having when I was, like, six years old, envisioning myself at 30. I wasn't thinking, like, I'm going to be sitting in a bathroom testing my ketones. Right. Not my not my thing. <laughs> so uh, sadly, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, but I want to give you an opportunity to kind of like sum up your thoughts about, I know we've, we've talked about this the whole time, but about uh, the ketogenic diet or way of eating and self-care and self-love. Yeah. I mean, I went on a couple of rants. Um, <laughs> no, I sure. love this. <laughs> I mean, there's so much that I have to say about this because I think you really can have your cake and eat it too. Like you can live in a state I mean, I have been, you can live in a state of ketosis, you know, once you get fat adapted, your body builds up that those enzymatic processes to be able to understand that fat is the fuel. And, you know, there are days where I have what I call carb ups in the evenings. There are days where I go, you know, even five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or 11 days without having those carb ups. And then, you know, right before my period, I'm having more um, when ovulation, I'm having more protein. So I'm just, I'm listening to my body and the cues that it's sending me. Um, and it's so much more freeing that way. And, and what we were talking about just before is like, it gives me more space to do the things that I love doing, you know, by not obsessing about everything. And I mean, oh my gosh, if, if I can overcome the obsession of like weighing myself and tracking food and everything, like you can too, because (laughs) I was a mess, like a total mess. And it, it was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my work. It was affecting the way that I saw myself um, and how I showed up in the world, how I started conversations with people, like every, every part of me. And, you know, had I, you know, looking five years in the past, um, hearing myself talk, I would have been like, that makes no sense. Like, what about sugar and its dangers and blah, blah, blah. I'm not at all um, advocating to like, just, 
like go balls to the wall and do whatever you feel like. I'm advocating trusting your body and in that place of trust by taking care of yourself. It's kind of like um, you work on both at the same time. Uh, you start to put trust in yourself and at the same time you start to do things that make yourself feel better. So creating that list, understanding what you like, what you don't like, even the people that make you feel good when you hang out with them. So if you need more self-care, you know, calling up your friend that makes you feel like poo, <laughs> probably not a good thing to do in that moment. So <laughs> surrounding yourself with people, activities, thoughts, behaviors, podcasts, Instagram accounts, any type of social media account that makes you feel good is going to allow you to get in that space more of self-care and, and Thinking of yourself first and selfishness is not a bad thing. And when you're in that space and you trust your body completely and you can appreciate, not love, because there are parts of my body that I don't totally love. And like sometimes I love my thighs and other times I'm like, eh, not so happy with my thighs. <laughs> it's about appreciating like my thighs let me do a lot of really cool things. Without my thighs, I wouldn't be able to like run or walk or go up the stairs or chase my dogs. And so just looking at it that way and all of that in my experience, has helped me go further into ketosis without having to worry about the extra stuff. And I could spend that energy on me and my life experience while also eating foods that make me feel good and being okay when I eat foods that don't feel good and then just getting over it and getting back into it. And like, that's life. I just, I choose, I choose not to be a victim of being just consumed by that anymore. And I know that if I can make that choice and that's something that maybe those listening are interested in but they're just not sure how to do it um i have a lot of resources if you just like go to my youtube channel and watch some videos you'll probably catch a little bit um of that energy and and same in my podcast and my upcoming book and in all my other ketogenic books um it's all kind of just there and my journey is is there with it <laughs> and it's definitely evolved over the last couple of years and yeah it just makes life a lot easier so that's what I have to say. <laughs> I love that so much. So I just want to, before I stop recording, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. And um, I really look forward to your book coming out in April. Yeah, thank you so much for ha having me, Liz. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as Leanne and I did. Um, please feel free to give either of us a shout out on any of our social media channels. Definitely go check her out at the Keto Diet Podcast and healthfulpursuits.com. And as always, the show notes are at healthygamergirl.com slash show notes. Thank you guys so much and have a wonderful week.